Amen. How great. I don't know about from in the back, but up here, the sound is just, it's loud and energetic. So uh, um, I'm kind of pumped up here now. Would you guys open your uh, Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Pastor Bruce uh, continues his series on encouraging one another, reengaging the church in this morning's message encouraging one another as we prepare to get back to hopefully normal services and our Sunday morning routine. Again, we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we, Lord, we're just so grateful, Lord, that we're able to, um, Lord, to continue to gather together as a body of believers, as a church. Lord, we, Lord, we appreciate it all the more now, having spent so much time last year uh, apart, God, would you just uh, stir up in us the desire to be an encouragement to one another, to invest in each other's lives, Lord, and to come together and worship you, Lord, and celebrate all that you've done, both in our lives and, God, what you've done on the cross to redeem us. Lord, we ask that you would uh, speak to us this morning through Pastor Bruce and through your word, in Christ's name, amen. Oh, how I love the church. I don't know if you love the church, but I love the church. And you're like, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to love the church. And that's true. And uh, I've given my life to the church. And so, yes, I love the church. I mean, I I get super excited, like what we got to do this morning, to baptize a new believer in Jesus Christ and see Cody follow the Lord Jesus and take that next step in O baptism. I get excited about that. I love the church. I hope you love the church. But I will also say at the same time, my heart grieves for the church, and especially the church here in America. While most people are concerned about the dangers of COVID, and, and rightfully so, in fact, it's estimated now that in the world, Over 4 million people have died from COVID or COVID-related deaths. And right here in the U.S., it's estimated that over 600,000 have died. And so it is very proper to grieve the loss of life during this pandemic. And to think that probably, more than likely, most of these people have died without the hope of eternal life. That is, they have died in their sins without knowing Christ as their Savior and Lord. And so we grieve this eternal loss even more. And now they await 
their judgment before the Lord. As the author of Hebrews tells us here in this book that we read our text from, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And so while most people across our country, across the world, are concerned about the dangers of COVID, there is another danger that I am more concerned about. And that is the danger of not re-engaging the church. In fact, notice this in your notes. You're welcome to follow along if you have that handout or you can follow along on the screen behind me. But notice the danger here. That is when we neglect to re-engage the church, the danger is this. We miss out on life-saving encouragement from one another. That's the danger. This danger is eternal in nature. This danger has the potential to wipe out many professing believers. In fact, it has and it is even now. And that's how important encouragement is to our spiritual lives. I mean, just listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 3, in verses 12 through 14. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the very end. And so, yes, we are living in the midst of a pandemic that poses legitimate dangers to our earthly bodies. But we are also facing another danger that has eternal consequences. And we here this morning, believers at LifeBridge and across the world, we desperately need encouragement to persevere in our salvation that has been provided to us by Jesus Christ. And that only happens if we are re-engaging the church of Jesus Christ. Long before COVID, church attendance was already in decline. And as churches in the U.S. especially have reopened in this last year, it's like church attendance is further falling off a cliff. In fact, the latest data by Gallup Research shows that attendance here this year, 2021, still remains lower than what it was in 2019 pre-COVID. Now, there's no doubt that the pandemic's effect on Americans' practice of their religion has been significant, very significant. And so it would be easy here for all of us to, to simply diagnose the, the current church attendance numbers as simply a, quote, medical issue. But what if the problem is much deeper than that? What if the problem is more spiritual than medical? When you fall out of the habit of meeting together, it is easy to convince yourself it's medical. People around you may even tell you it's medical. And that may be true, legitimately true for some people due to their severe health conditions. But there's also something deeper going on in the church, and especially the church here in America. After all, crisis 
It's nothing more than an accelerator of existing conditions. And that includes the spiritual condition of our hearts. And so for this reason, now more than ever, we need to re-engage the church because we all here, including myself, we desperately need to be encouraged to persevere in our salvation. Now, obviously, these verses that Kirk read for us in Hebrews chapter 10, they were not written during a global pandemic. But they were written during another crisis, a time of persecution when many followers of Jesus needed to be encouraged in their faith. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that we need to be encouraged to do three specific things. But don't miss the key to this encouragement. It is a community project by everyone in the church. It is not just my responsibility as pastor to encourage you. Yes, that is part of my role to encourage and to exhort with the word of God from this pulpit. But here, the writer of Hebrews is telling us we all have this responsibility to do, to encourage people to do three things. And it is a community project. In fact, three times you see the two words repeated where the writer says, let us, let us, let us. Three times in verse 22, 23, and 24, he repeats that. And so let us now unpack what he says, what he writes to us about encouraging one another and why we so desperately need it. Number one, let us encourage one another to draw near to God in faith. Notice again what it says in verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What a statement. What an incredible statement the writer of Hebrews makes. And I say the writer of Hebrews because we don't necessarily know who is the author of Hebrews. Uh, and so we just will refer to him as the writer of Hebrews. And this statement is telling us that we help each other draw near to God. We help each other, in other words, to flourish in our faith in Christ. You say, how is this even possible? Listen, it is only possible because of Jesus Christ. Our confidence to draw near to a holy God is based on Christ's priestly work on our behalf. This is what the writer is telling us in verses 19 through 21, in the verses right before this verse here in 22. Look what it says. Look what he writes. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence now to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us do what? Let us draw near to God now. Let us draw near and to do so in confidence. In fact, notice this in your notes. Because of Christ's priestly work, we now have confidence in our grand access to God. We now have confidence in our great advocate before God. And again, this is incredible because the writer is telling us here that we possess two things as Christ followers. Because of Christ's priestly work on our behalf, we, first of all, we possess and we have confidence in our grand access before a holy God. Under the old covenant, do you realize God's people could not enter the holy place? Only the high priest could enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. 
if frankly they did this, well, rather quickly, because they didn't have a whole lot of confidence. And even then, it was dependent upon a blood sacrifice. So they would go in and they would come out quickly. But under the new covenant, listen, Jesus has now made it possible through his sacrifice for us on the cross for us to now enter the very presence of God with our sins atoned for. And the writer specifically says how? By what? Through what? By the blood of Jesus Christ, referring to his blood sacrifice on the cross. We now have this confidence to draw near to God anytime, any place. This is our grand access to God, all because of Christ's priestly work on your behalf. As Francis Schaeffer writes, the central message of biblical Christianity is the possibility of men and women approaching God through the work of Jesus Christ. And according to verse 20 here, this is something new, he says. In other words, we possess, we have something that the Old Testament saints did not Namely, the right to enter the holy place, the right to enter the very presence of God. And therefore, the writer says, let us now do what? Let us encourage one another to draw near to God and do so with a true heart in full assurance of our faith. But wait, it gets better. Second, we also have a great advocate before God. Jesus Christ, the author says is now our high priest. That means there is no other mediator between God and mankind. In other words, you don't need to go through a human priest. You don't need to go through a pastor like even myself to have access to God. As our advocate, Jesus Christ is representing us before God. Not only that, Jesus is sanctifying us so that we are now purified to be true worshipers before his throne. As the writer says, we can now come before God with our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. Therefore, let us do what? Let us draw near. Let us encourage one another to do that, to draw near to God in faith and to do so in confidence. And what we're really doing when we encourage one another to draw near to God, what we're really doing here is we are encouraging one another to a life of worship. Now listen, if you've ever wondered, you know, I I know as a believer I'm supposed to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ, but what do I encourage them in? Hebrews here specifically telling us you encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ in three things. This is the first one. And so you come alongside them, and we are encouraging one another, really, to a life of worship, to live a life of worship in this world now. Richard Phillips writes, worship is both our highest privilege and our most central duty. We were made to worship God, and he demands our worship. Worship is most beneficial for us. In worship, we find the freedom to be what we were meant to be. Worship is therefore essential Listen, to our spiritual health and well-being. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains it this way. He says, it is only when I am near to God in Christ that I know my sins are forgiven. I feel his love. 
I know I am his child and I enjoy the priceless blessings of peace with God and peace within and peace with others. I am aware of God's love and I am given a joy that the world can neither give nor take away. Is this not what we need in our lives now more than ever? Oh, let us. Let us do what? Let us encourage one another specifically to draw near to God in a life of worship. And we need this encouragement because, listen, all of us here, we are prone to drift away from God as well as his church. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard And what have we heard? We have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to us. We have believed it. Why? And he says, lest we drift away. We are prone to this, this drifting away from God and his church. And then it says, he follows it up with this in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, this is a matter of life and death eternally. That's why I say there are greater dangers to be concerned about than just the dangers of COVID. There is the eternal consequences of this danger. So therefore, let us encourage one another here to draw near to God in a life of worship. And then this brings us to the second thing we need to be encouraged in. Number two, let us encourage one another to hold fast the faith and hope. Look at verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And that phrase, hold fast, it is a strong term. It speaks of keeping the strong grip on something so as not to let it go. Your grip is so tight on it, you keep it from slipping away. And what is it that we are, hold, we are to hold so firmly to, so tightly to? It is the confession of our hope. That is our faith in Jesus Christ, our hope in Jesus Christ. And having believed the gospel of Jesus, we now, each of us, has a responsibility to do what? To hold fast to that truth, that is the gospel, and to do it with everything we have, and to do so, the writer says, without wavering. A.W. Pink writes, it is one thing to make a confession of faith. It is quite another to hold fast to that confession. It is easy to call myself a Christian, but it is most difficult indeed to live the life of a Christian, which is why we need encouragement from one another. There is a very real sense, in other words, in which you forfeit the truth of the gospel if you fail to hold fast to the gospel. That's what the warnings here are all about at the end of this chapter, Hebrews chapter 10. It's why it tells us, specifically here in verses 26 through 29, that if you go on living a life of sin after claiming to believe the gospel, that you actually, he uses this wording, trample under your feet Jesus Christ. You trample under your feet the blood of Jesus Christ even, and nothing can be more serious than that. 
Therefore, nothing is more serious than encouraging the body of Christ, encouraging one another here to do what? To hold fast to that which we claim we believe. To hold fast to our confession of faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And this holding fast, folks, listen, it is the evidence that you truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the evidence that you are a true believer, that you have been born again. Those that have truly been born again will do what? They will hold fast. But we need encouragement to do that. This is critical. This is important. We hold fast. And in this life, because we live in a fallen world, there are barriers to us now holding fast to our faith. You say, what barriers? Notice this in your notes. The barriers to our hope are the trials and temptations that we face in life. The author of Hebrews, he is writing to a group of people, specifically to Jewish Christians in a day where it was not easy to be a follower of Christ as they were facing persecution from all sides. Just listen to what it says in the same chapter here. We're in Hebrews 10, later on in verses 32 and 34. Listen to it. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened. In other words, after you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What is that better possession? It's our salvation. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our eternal hope. And so all around the world, even today, we hear this, we see this in the news, we read about it. Christians are publicly professing their faith in Jesus, and as a result, they are suffering real persecution. I mean, even the last two weeks, if you've kept up with the news in Afghanistan, I can't help but think of the Christians there who are holding fast, gripping tightly to their faith, their hope in Jesus Christ. All the while, the Taliban is searching them out to persecute them and in all likelihood to kill them. And yet, we hear reports that they are gathering like this and still worship the Lord. But it's not just trials that stand as barriers to our hope. We face temptations in life too, do we not? All throughout this book of Hebrews, we see these Jewish Christians tempted now because of the trials they're facing. And the temptation is almost always, as we already alluded to, to drift away from God. It's specifically here to drift away from the confession of their faith. This is why the author exhorts us now to do the opposite. Instead of drifting away, we are to hold fast to our faith. It's why he says, Going back to chapter 3, verse 6, he says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we do what? We hold fast. There's the word again. Our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Verse 14, same chapter, Hebrews 3, it says, For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Verse 
chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. Since then we have a great high priest, that is Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confidence. So the author is saying to a group of Christians who are facing all kinds of trials and temptations in life. And he's saying to them, listen, don't give up. Persevere. Hold fast to your faith in Jesus. Don't let go of it because you have hope in Jesus Christ. And the reality is, we, we need this encouragement to hold fast. Especially when we are tempted and especially in these last 18 months, 12 months now, we're tempted now more than ever to drift away in the face of trials and temptations. This is why re-engaging the body of Christ, re-engaging one another, re-engaging the church is so important. It could be a matter of eternal life and death for you. You say, now what's the basis of holding fast to this? What is the basis of it? Listen, notice it. The basis of our hope is not us. It is not somebody else. It is God himself. And specifically, the basis of our hope is the faithfulness of God to his people. Speaking of God, it says in verse 23, for he who promised is what? He's faithful. Listen, God has proven faithful to keep his promises all throughout Scripture. And if God makes a promise, you can bank on it. You can be confident that he will keep that promise. Because if God doesn't, then he contradicts his very nature. And he lies about who he is. And it diminishes his glory. And he's no longer God. But the author of Hebrews reminds us that it is impossible for God to lie. You go back to chapter 6, verse 18, it says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And so, yes, we are living in a fallen, sinful world where we face barriers to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But that is why, it's why we encourage one another. This is why we stay engaged in the church, to hold fast to our hope. And the basis of this hope is not me, it's not you, it is the faithfulness of God to his people. Amen to that. So let us encourage one another, first of all, to draw near to God in faith, draw near to God in a life of worship. Second of all, let us draw encourage one another to hold fast to this faith that we profess that we believe. Number three, let us encourage one another to grow in love and good works. Look what it says in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now this is the third time, as we have seen, where the writer says, let us, let us, let us us. That means these are all plural commands that we are to do together. They're not isolated individual commands that I do by myself as your pastor. These are commands we all do. The scriptures leave no room whatsoever for walk-alone, stand-alone Christianity. 
The life of a Christian must be lived out in the context of community with other Christians. That is the church. Listen, as we already saw in the very first message of this series, to be in Christ is to be where? It's to be in the church. That's the evidence of being in Christ. And so let us encourage one another to grow in love and good works. This is the duty that we have together to one another. In fact, notice this duty. There's the mind of the duty and the ministry of it. First of all, the mind we are to have for one another is to consider. It's consider. In fact, the main verb in verse 24 is this word consider. And the author, notice it, he does not say consider how to love each other and do good works. That's not what he says. Now, that would be biblically true, biblically correct. But he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so we are to consider one another. That is, we are to focus on one another. We are to give careful attention to one another. We are to express deep concern for one another. And again, this means no Christian can be a spectator just watching from the stands. We are part of the family of God. We're part of a spiritual family. We're part of the body of Christ. And we have a duty now to consider one another in the body. Now, this is not an invitation, please hear me, for all of us to be, or some of us, to be judgmental busybodies making the lives of others a burden. Aren't you thankful for that? But we are, listen, we are commanded here to take a fervent interest in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? What is the purpose of that? Why should I care about this sister over here? Why should I care about that brother in Christ over there? Why should I take a fervent interest in them? Here's why. Because we have a ministry to them. We have an obligation, a duty, a responsibility. Notice it. The ministry we are to have to one another is stir up. Stir up. We are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that word stir up, it literally means to incite, to provoke, or to stimulate. Now, the author of Hebrews could not have chosen a more intense word when he chose this word stir up. The author is saying that we have a duty, a ministry to lovingly but fervently intentionally stir up and provoke one another to love and good works. This is strong language. And yes, sometimes there there are times in our lives where we just need somebody to come alongside of us and hug us and give us a hug. There are times where we need that. That's what is needed. And and maybe even add to that hug, listen, I'm, I'm here for you. Don't quit. I know, you've, I know it's been a rough patch in your life, a rough season. Hang in there. Don't quit. Hold tight to the faith. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And we may even say that and pray that over them as we give them a hug. And there are times for that kind of encouragement. But honestly, there are other times where we need much more than just a hug. Where we need to be challenged We need to be even confronted, and we need to be stirred up, provoked, and stimulated. And most of the time, 
I think you would find, if you're in agreement here, that we tend to avoid that kind of encouragement. When that kind of encouragement is needed now more than ever. This kind of encouragement, folks, can only take place, though, if we are re-engaging one another in the church. That's why the author goes on to say, look at it with me in verse 25. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. In other words, what he's saying, there needs to be a habit in our lives as Christ followers. But he's presenting to us a negative habit that he's exhorting us not to do. The correlation is there needs to be a positive habit among believers in Jesus Christ. So we might summarize this this way. Don't neglect to gather with one another regularly so that we may encourage one another fervently. That's the principle here we find. So let's step back and let's think through this a little bit. Why do we need to meet together or gather with one another regularly? Why do we need to make meeting together a priority in our lives if we claim to be Christ followers? We need to be encouraged to do three things. That's why. That's why this is so important. Because we need to be encouraged to do three things. To draw near to God in faith, as we've already seen. To to hold fast to our faith and hope, as we've seen. And to grow in love and good works. And the implication seems to be from the author here that we will not do these things. We will struggle to do these things if we are living Christianity in isolation. If we are neglecting to gather with one another regularly. Now, why why had these Hebrew Christians stopped meeting together? And we know they stopped meeting because they made a habit of it. At least some of them did. Why was that? Well, they were suffering persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Some of them had been thrown into prison. Others had their property confiscated. They were being pressured to deny their faith. In other words... These believers were facing a legitimate, real crisis in their life. And now they were neglecting what they needed most in their life. That is gathering with one another regularly so that they can encourage one another fervently in the faith. In fact, this word neglect that the author uses, it's also translated as forsake. It has the idea of abandoning. That's the meaning of it, which means that when we, when we forsake meeting together, in essence, what we are doing is we are abandoning our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are forsaking our corporate responsibility to encourage one another. The implication of this text seems to be clear, that God himself, God is our creator, God is our redeemer through Jesus Christ, God has designed meeting together, body of Christ coming together as an essential part of our spiritual well-being as Christ followers. Now, most often, we tend to think this verse is telling us to meet together corporately for worship, which is surely an application of this verse. 
In his book, The Church, Mark Dever makes a simple but important statement when he writes, and I quote, the most fundamental duty Christians have in relation to the congregation is the duty to regularly attend gatherings of the congregation. And so even now, when we gather here in worship, we encourage one another. Whether you realize it or not, by your very presence here this morning, you are encouraging somebody. Your presence, it encourages me as your pastor. But beyond that, I promise you, your very presence encourages somebody else as well. Listen, when we sing together, we encourage one another. When we open our Bibles, whether it's a hard copy or a digital copy, we are encouraging somebody else. And listen, also, when we we also encourage one another when somebody says an amen. Thank you, Bill. You're encouraging me with that amen. And I know it's an encouragement to me, but I promise you when somebody says amen, it's an encouragement to somebody else because amen means, yes, it's true. Let it be. That's true. What is being preached is true, and it's the word of God. And so when we gather here on Sunday mornings, you are being an encouragement to one another, and hopefully you are receiving encouragement as well. And so, yes, the application of this verse surely includes gathering together corporately in the worship service, but the application is also much deeper, such as gathering together in community, smaller groups, one-on-one with another Christ follower. This picture that the author presents to us of considering one another is something that, quite honestly, it can't be accomplished as effectively In the context of a worship service, it can be better accomplished in the context of a small group or even one-on-one or three-on-three, whatever it might be. This is why we here at LifeBridge, we we believe and we have a grow group ministry. This is why we're encouraging you even now. Go to the back of the auditorium at the end of the service and sign up, get connected, be part of a grow group where you can share life with one another, and I understand that that sharing of life in a group, it takes time. It doesn't always happen perfectly. Why? Because groups are messy. Groups contain me, you, and we're, well, we're people, and we're human, and we're flawed. And so that sharing of life ebbs and flows depending on the nature of the group and the context, and sometimes it happens better with one or two people within the group instead of the whole group. But the idea is you're part of that group, and you have the opportunity to. You have the opportunity to give encouragement and to receive encouragement in that context and so the fall session of grow groups it resumes in september signups are in the back if you're like i'm not sure what group to sign up for listen come talk to me or pastor chris we'll help you get connected in the right group here's the point and i say this lovingly but i say it fervently myself and you we We cannot afford to miss out on meeting together with one another. We cannot afford to miss out on gathering with one another, whether it's in a worship service or a small group. Why? Because according to these verses here, your relationship to Christ and your relationship to his church is intertwined. Therefore, if you forsake his church, you do so at your own spiritual pearl. This is the danger we must avoid at all costs. Again, 
there is a greater danger in this world than what COVID presents. There is the spiritual danger of not reengaging the church. Because when we neglect to do what we're doing this morning and in our groups, we are missing out on what we desperately need in our lives. We are missing out on the life-saving encouragement from one another. Remember what the author said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, but exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, left on our own, we are all prone to drift away from the Lord, to drift away from His church, to fall away from the faith by the deceitfulness of sin. And so we desperately need to be encouraged to persevere in the faith and to hold fast to our hope in Jesus Christ. And we need this encouragement now more than ever. Look what it says at the end of verse 25. Look in your Bibles. It says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the importance of encouraging one another. The reason, notice this in your notes, the reason encouraging one another is so vital, so important, so critical, is because the day of Christ's return is drawing near. The day of Christ, it is fast approaching. As it races toward us, it makes our need for encouragement all the more urgent, not less. All the more important, not less. The closer we get to Christ's coming, the more we should be gathering with one another so that we may encourage one another all the more in the faith. But many times we seem to have it backwards, do we not? The church in America especially. And that's why my heart grieves for the church in America. Because we have this backwards we seem to think that the closer we get to Christ's coming, the less we need to gather. The more excuses we seem to make. Nevertheless, one of the strongest motivations for gathering together is the soon coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, you realize that the only other place we see this phrase, meet together, is over in 2 Thessalonians 2.1 when it says being gathered together. And it is a reference to being gathered together in the very presence of Christ when he returns. Listen to how the author of Hebrews puts it here in Hebrews chapter 9. Verses 27 and 28, he says, In just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear what? A second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Is that you? Are you eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ? Are you holding on to your faith and hope in Jesus Christ? Are you drawing near to God and are you encouraging others to do the same? We need to be encouraged to keep our hope fixed on Christ's return instead of fixing our hope on the things of this world and what we see and touch in this world. If you're putting your hope, something in this world, it is temporary, it is passing away, it will burn up here in the end. Listen to what the author says in Hebrews chapter 10, this very same chapter, 35 through 39, it says, Therefore, 
Therefore, in light of all that we've studied here this morning, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. In other words, if you will persevere to the end, if you will hold fast to that hope and not give up, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not one of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. So let me summarize everything we've learned so far. I'll summarize it this way. The series is called Reengage the Church. Because you need the church, and the church needs you. In his book, The Victorious Christian Life, Tony Evans writes, and I quote, you need the church to keep you on track. You need the church to hold you accountable. You need the church to care for you during the disasters of your life. You need the church to encourage you as you keep walking down the right way. You don't need the church to be saved, but you need it to make sure you're living like you're saved. Listen, you may think, even in your own mind, even now, that you don't need the church. I can assure you, if you don't think you need it, you will sooner or later. In the end, God will not allow true believers in Jesus Christ to be satisfied in this world apart from his church. You can invest all your time and all your treasure in your marriage, in your kids, in your work, in hobbies, but God will not allow you to enjoy complete fulfillment apart from what he has redeemed you for, and that is to be engaged in his church. Watchman Nee, some of you have recognized that name. He once said this, Alone, I cannot serve the Lord effectively, and he will spare no pains to teach me this. He will bring things to an end, allowing doors to close and leaving me ineffectively knocking my head against a wall until I realize that I need the help of the body of Christ as well as Christ. You need the church, I need the church, and the church needs you because we need, now more than ever, the life-saving encouragement that comes from one another in the body of Christ. So let us, let us re-engage the church here at LifeBridge for our own spiritual well-being, our own good, and ultimately to the glory of God. With your heads bowed, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich, rich truth of your word here in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ truly is better. He is better than anything we can imagine. He is better than anything this world has to offer us. And so let us embrace him as our only hope. Lord, help us to persevere in this faith that we claim we believe. We ask that these things would become a reality in the hearts of our people here this morning. Lord, help us to see our need for the church as well as our responsibility to encourage one another in the church. And all the more so, since in light of Christ's coming, it is drawing near. And so, Lord, even now we pray, come, Lord, come, come fast. And it's in Jesus' name 
we pray. Amen. Now, let's respond. Let us draw near in worship. Let us stand together and draw near in singing and lifting our voices high to the one who has redeemed us for the church. Yeah. 